Hi, I'm Nancy Loomis, and I'm just here to say, don't go out there. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Just want to thank all of our fans and listeners. We really appreciate all support. You guys are awesome. Before we get into tonight's film, I just want to give a quick shout-out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. My man Brian has done a fantastic job with the website. He's got it looking great. Everything about our podcast is on there. All of our episodes and interviews from episode one to our weekly release. If you want to check out all of our episodes there. Maybe you have an office job, don't have access to your phone. You can listen on your desktop computer. We've done some incredible interviews in the past with some of the biggest names in horror, uh, some of your favorite slashers, uh, writers, directors. Check out our interviews if you haven't heard those yet. We got our store. We, we got some new T-shirts. Uh, Brian and Dustin have done some fantastic designs if you want to check those out. And we also have Shan's Etsy page attached as well if you want to grab a Tumblr. And we also have our social media, fa- uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Uh, we love interacting with our fans. We love you know, meeting new people. We love answering your comments and questions on the air. So definitely check us out on social media. And the last thing I want to shout out is our Patreon. We call it Blood Donors. We have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind. You're a big fan of our podcast, a big fan of our show. You want to help support us. That option is available. And we also have one-time donations. If you want to donate and, you know, have a, if you have a film review you want us to do, that option is available as well. All right, guys, jump into the film review. I really want to just shout out Christina Tower. Final Girl Donor, we really appreciate your patience. You donated, I think, like mid to late September. Uh, we really appreciate your patience because, you know, we had all of our October spooky season picks locked in. Really appreciate your patience to now. Uh, we're going to be reviewing 1980s The Fog. Uh, I hadn't seen this movie, to no one's surprise, until this pick. And I'll just go ahead and spoil it now. I didn't hate the movie, but I didn't love it either. Uh I listen. I re-listened to our like Sun review and Bird Box review recently, just for shits and giggles. And I kind of feel the same way, like I said in those movies. Like at the end of, I really just didn't have much feeling at all, no strong feelings. And I know that's not good review talk for like this podcast, but it, this wasn't a movie that really like just made me feel anything. I didn't dislike it or like it. It just I thought it was you know it's a movie, but it's got a great cast, great '80s cast. Uh, Adrian Barbo's got the voice of a butter and an angel. I don't know if that's the proper way to say it, but a buttery angel. She has a great voice. Uh, hey, beautiful shot to the lighthouse. You know, I think we'd all agree on that. Shout out to a friend of the show, Paula. She's uh, She lives out in that area. She uh, DM'd the podcast page some pictures of visiting the uh, that lighthouse from this movie. It's beautiful. But, you know, the ghost part just really didn't work for me. Like, they're not scary looking. Uh I don't know, and I think Brian's gonna touch on it as well, but it just I don't know, it didn't scare me. So maybe if it was directed a little differently or something, I would have more of a, a feeling towards it. But I appreciate your donation, Christina. Uh not a bad movie, but I didn't really love it either. All right, yeah, I'm probably about to get roasted for what I'm gonna say here. Maybe not so Let's much go. by my co host, but maybe by the listeners. Uh first of all, I'm sorry to Christina Tower. And let me just preface this with the fact that I first watched this probably like 25 years ago or so and didn't care for it. So I never even tried again until this watch. I kind of hoped that my younger slasher love and self just didn't have my ADD attended to by kills every two seconds that, you know, maybe it would be better this time. And it was, but I mean, very little. Uh, it, it's still super mad to me. And that's not even my hot takes. Here they come. Super hot take number one. I'm admittedly not a big John Carpenter fan. I think he's great with making very cheap movies and doing the most with them. I think he's great with coming up with the idea. And his scores are second to none. They're amazing. But every other movie he's ever made, excluding Halloween, excluding Halloween, I always watch it and think, this is actually a really good premise and a cool story if someone else directed it. Like, I use Escape from New York Halloween 2, and honestly, this one as my main points of argument because he was such a key writer in those. And here's my hot take number two based on that too. Believe it or not, probably a bigger hot take. And to play off my previous statement, my point is proven, at least to me, 
with this one because 2005's Fog remake with Tom Welling and Selma Blair is way better than this movie. And I, I just I, I think the script is all over the place. Uh, the remake takes all of the issues that I have with this one and actually fixes them. Like the performances are better, the characters are better. Deborah Hill was a major player in it before she passed, and it had Carpenter's blessing because he's even not a, a big fan of this version. And uh, so I'm honestly not done with the hot takes either. I have one more here. So I understand, listeners, if you're not a fan of this one and don't listen to me the rest of the time when I talk, I get it. But you may not want to listen now. Tom Atkins is a horror legend. I get it. But I think he's miscast here. Uh, I think I, I don't think he fits. And to be honest, it's fucking weird. But we'll get to that in the first set of scenes. So go ahead, Dustin. I've done enough damage. You have done damage. How dare you talk about John Carpenter and not mention the greatest movie he ever made, They Live. I'll let that slide, though. Side note, Escape from New York. Is that, is that close enough, Brian? You're, I know Nico hasn't seen it. Is that close enough? Could I pick that one day? I think it's close enough. Yeah, but, I mean, like I said, I thought it was such a good idea and such a good movie, and I'm like, man... If somebody else made this movie, I think it would be like really. We need a Rob Zombie remake of Escape from New York. Um, <laughs> I'm down. Anyway, I had never watched this movie all the way through. I'd seen it. Uh, I think it was on years and years ago. It was on TV. And I watched some of it, but quickly just like lost interest. This time when I actually sat and finished it, um, I enjoyed it. It def definitely has its problems, but... The score, holy shit, the score is the star of the program. Incredible. For sure, for sure. Which, like you mentioned, you, that's kind of standard for John Carpenter films. But um, I was able to kind of put myself in the moment, like, okay, if it's 1980 and I'm watching this movie, it's hard to do sometimes, but for some reason I was able to get in that right headspace to where I was able to disregard everything that I've seen that's come after this movie and, you know, and don't nitpick it because it would look so much better in a remake. I agree though. The, I did like the remake better, but I enjoyed this movie. It, uh, he was definitely hurt by the lack of blood, which I'm sure you have it in your notes, but you know, he didn't have a lot of blood cause he was going for a PG rating. This was pre PG 13. So one of that PG rating ended up with an R anyway, in my mind, it would have been better if he goes back and adds blood. Just, yeah, just right. reshoot some of these scenes and add the blood. It would make it. It would take it to the next level. Um, I agree with what Nico said. The ghost did not look scary. I think they would have uh, benefited from never revealing what they look like because that did take me out of it a little bit when we got the look at the ghost at the end there uh, in his stupid ass green rubbery looking skin with the maggots. If they were just shadowy figures, that would have been so much scarier. Um, I but. For what it was, it's not a perfect movie. It's not going to get a crazy high rating from me, but I did enjoy it. Yeah, you brought up the PG-13 thing. Like, that's, I mean, I don't, you, you said you like the remake too, so thank God. Because, like, that is, by the way, if you don't know, a super-ass hot take to like the remake better than this movie. Yeah, I know. But, you know, the biggest, like, one of the biggest complaints is that, oh, it's PG-13, blah, blah, blah. But you just said exactly that. Like, he was trying to make this one PG. I mean, shit. There's, like, so why hold that there's against There's nothing the in remake? this movie that warrants a rated R. Like, there's no nudity. Right. There's very right. light language. I can't even remember, honestly, even any any bad languages that wouldn't be okay. There wasn't any F-bombs, were there? I, don't, I can't think of any. I don't think so. Um, no blood, no gore. So there was no, if this movie was made as is today and submitted to the MPAA, it's probably looking at a PG rating. Maybe PG-13 because it is kind of spooky. But, yeah. yeah, there's nothing rated R about this one. Who gives a shit if the new one is rated PG-13? It's a better movie. There you <laughs> go. Attaboy. Yeah, I agree. Definitely didn't deserve a rated R rating for sure. Uh, Y'all got any more opening thoughts where you just jump into the scene by scene? Let's get it. Nope. All right, Christina, we really appreciate your donation. Is all that we see or seen but a dream within a dream, Edgar Allan Poe? We see a pocket watch spinning as Mr. Mockin, I think, tells kids around a campfire one more story. 100 years ago, on the 21st of April, a small clipper ship headed towards land. The fog rolled in. This is a lot of dialogue, so I just kind of summarized it. It was like a fire burning on the shore. 
The fog lifted and never returned, but the fishermen say, when the fog returns to Antonio Bay, the men at the bottom of the sea will rise up and search for the campfire that led them to their dark, icy death. 12 o'clock, the 21st of April, John Carpenter's The Fog, a Deborah Hill production. Bennett is working at the church with Father Malone. He tells Bennett he won't need him until four and offers a drink. Bennett asks to be paid, and he says, come in at six instead now. Bennett leaves, but Father calls for him and chases after him until he hears a noise. A rock, a rock from the wall falls onto the desk. Father finds a journal in the wall belonging to Father Patrick Malone, 1880. Stevie Wayne is on the radio, keeping everyone listening company. All the payphones are ringing as we see a man sweeping up a store and stealing a drink of juice. The mirrors begin moving and bottles start shaking and breaking. A gas pump handle falls in the ground and begins leaking fuel as a hydraulic lift lifts a car into the air. Several car headlights and horns all go off at once. Sandy is awakened and sees her chair move on its own. Nick is driving down a dark road until he picks up a hitchhiker, Elizabeth. They casually drink beer and she asks if he's weird. Suddenly his window and, and windshield are broken, scaring both of them. Stevie Wayne gets a call from Dan O'Bannon. He asks if she's going to the party tonight. He tells her about a position on a trawler called the Seagrass, a fog bank moving towards that direction. She hangs up on him and relays the weather over the radio. All right, Brian, that's the opening set of scenes. What do you think? Okay, so about this open, uh, after a rough cut of the movie appeared to be much too short for a theatrical release, it was actually about, what, 80 minutes, I think. Mike would have been super happy with that. But uh, Carpenter subsequently went back for a pretty substantial 30-day shoot and added more scenes, which go into what Dustin said. Why didn't you just add blood then? But, okay. Um, among those was this captain telling the story to the kids at the campfire. And I'm good with this. I like this. I mean, one thing, though, if you're going to make this, like, are you afraid of the dark-esque and make it a story that we're being told from, I guess, a kid's perspective, why not have a scene to compliment it at the end, like going back here? Uh, maybe have a kid ask a question about it and have this captain killed by a fog zombie. I don't know. Otherwise, it just kind of seems like, like I said, with a lot of the script, kind of jumpy with not a lot of flushing out. I mean, these these short shots with all this supernatural, creepy things happening were also added in the reshoots right here. So um, I think the reshoots being added hurt, helped and hurt this movie as far as the script goes, in my opinion. Uh, some funny shit, though, when Father Malone uh, shout out Carpenter for his cameo here is Bennett, by the way. But when Malone is flipping through these pages in the journal for a split second, visible, the written text reads my college education to work writing dumb shit in this fucking movies props being one. It's time to bring in the, the words guide or the big tits, tattoos and shaved beavers. I know horny fuckers would go and the rest was illegible, but that's fucking hilarious. Uh, but speaking of horny fuckers, I'll go ahead with this Atkins double down here. He doesn't fit in this role, and I don't understand why he was cast here. Like, it's just super bizarre. I mean, he was 45 when this was shot, and honestly looks like he's in his 50s. And Curtis was 22 and looks every bit of it. And we're supposed to believe he just picked her up randomly, they fucked, and then she hung around the rest of the movie. Like, what? Yeah. Now, the the remake fixed this and had them like previously know each other and have been in a relationship before and her actually be from that town, which is way better. I think this is just pretty unbelievable to be honest. Plus shout out drinking and driving apparently. And the, and the pretty awful shot of the truck skidding to a stop that was, I mean, it was obviously going like three miles an hour. I mean, that's easily, I mean, it's easily fixable. Like, come on, like don't even cut away to that. If that's what you had to work with. One other thing, I'll shut up. Despite the low budget, Carpenter still decided to shoot the movie in anamorphic widescreen Panavision, which I will admit did give the movie like a grander feel. It didn't feel as low budget in some places. Um, a lot of the birds type feel, which actually did catch that uh, Bodega Bay being shot out as well here. But uh, that's all I had. Yeah. Um, uh, creepy ass open with the creepy ass looking kids in the pocket watch. But I agree with what you, what you said, you know, after hearing you say it there, it kind of was pointless, but he just wanted some filler here. Uh, but I do love the setting though. Campfire stories, they're, they're always fun, but that was the fastest five minutes in movie history. Man said like three sec three sentences and it was already midnight. So, okay, whatever. Um, and like I said, that was filler. It was about 80 minutes originally. And he added more scenes to make it long enough for a theatrical release. 
And that was one of the scenes, like you mentioned, it was added after the fact. And we get a prime example of why I say tax the churches. He can't afford to pay Bennett, but he can sit back and drink the communion wine. Get out of here. That's terrible. Uh, Whatever. I guess that's a sidebar. Time for another or discussion for another time. I love the absence of a score when he's sweeping up the uh, convenience store and stuff starts going haywire. It makes it much more creepy. That's a good example of someone knowing that they got a great score, but not overdoing it because it was so quiet during this set of scenes. It was just, it was perfect. And then dumb decisions. One Oh one picking up a hitchhiker, especially at night, especially one who it's well-documented is being chased by Michael Myers. Does this guy not read the papers? Get the fuck away from her. But you, you mentioned it though. It, it didn't make sense how he just picked her up. They bang that night. And then she's just along for the ride the rest of the way. And like, not just along for the ride. Like he's taking her on his job, taking her to, know all this privileged information, which should be privileged at least because it's not public knowledge that there's deaths and people dying and spooky shit happening. But now nah, he's like, ah, I trust you. I've been inside you. Come along for the ride. But um, it's a decent open. Uh, it, it, it plants some seeds and the, the shit going haywire is really what, what got me. Now you mentioned the, the gas pump, Nico. I did read. Let me see if I can find it. right here. When the gasoline is flowing from the gas pump, the sale is four dollars and thirty four cents for eight point three gallons. Ooh. That makes gallon. That makes gas about fifty two point three cents per gallon. So all these mm. damn boomers that want to say, "Oh, when I was your age, I had a house and blah blah blah." You bought your house for the price of a carton of cigarettes in twenty twenty three. I don't want to hear that shit. Go ahead. <laughs> fifty two cents a gallon, boy howdy. All right. We're on a boat now, and the guys are drinking, and they say they want to meet Stevie. He says there ain't no fog bank out there until suddenly there is a fog bank approaching. The fog enters into the boat and the generator goes out. They see some other men in the boat until they're killed suddenly with sword stabs. Dick Baxter keeps saying a ship is right beside them until he's killed, stabbing his head repeatedly. Stevie continues to serenade on the radio, lighting a cigarette and looks out to the ocean. Share beach Chicago. Another call from Dan and he says the fog is moving due west. He says they'd make a perfect couple and ask to take her to dinner. She shoots him down and looks back over the water. We see Nick and Elizabeth in bed now, and they introduce themselves. They make small talk and kiss until a loud knock at the door. Doorbell rings, and Nick delays opening the door when the clock face explodes. The attacking men are gone. Andy is running along the beach, wanting to fish until he finds a piece of wood with the word Dane on it. He takes it back home, waking up his mom. He says it was a gold coin and turned into this. He leaves to go find a gold coin now. Nick and Elizabeth are at the dock asking about Al and his boat. He's concerned. Elizabeth asks to join him going to see Ashcroft. Kathy is giving Sandy instructions as she looks at her art. Kathy tells her she can be annoying, but she keeps her together. Stevie is driving some country roads as a man on the radio says the seagrass hasn't responded. If you sight this vessel, alert the Coast Guard. Nick and Elizabeth are out on the boat, and she asks if he's worried. Then they spot the boat. All right, Brian, next set of scenes. What do you think? Right off the bat, I'm going to go ahead and agree with Dustin right here. As much crap as I give John Carpenter, his ability to create a soundtrack is almost unmatched. I mean, at this point, he was three for three with Assault on Precinct 13. That remake, by the way, is elite. Shout out, Ethan Hawke. Halloween and now this, which, like we mentioned, I think that this is the strongest part of the entire movie. And the music here with the guys all on the boat being attacked, it's, it's all fantastic. By the way, sidebar, if you're into collecting the LP on vinyl, like I know a lot of people are nowadays, good luck getting this one in 2023 for what I could consider a reasonable price. I mean, you need Mike Settle money for all that. But I love the tension and the music and the boat scene. I would say that I felt like showing them just hanging out went on a little too long for me. But then I saw where a lot of the internal shots of them just carrying on uh, you know, things around the boat and stuff like that were added on in the reshoots as well to make it longer. So that makes sense. This is actually my favorite part of the movie because of the old ship. Like I found myself wishing we got to see that more. Thankfully we get that in the remake, but I thought that was really cool here. A lot of these close-ups of the crew being killed were added later too. very welcomed additions. Um, no blood that sucks. You mentioned, you know, about them trying to go with PG 13, but I, I didn't say it then, but, I didn't honestly miss it that much. I mean, I, I, I enjoy the movie. I think they did it. Well, I think they did a good job here. Uh, let me just put it that way. 
Um, there were some fantastic shots of the ghost zombie crew standing in the fog here, uh, probably used for the ad, the ads and, and posters and stuff, I think. And speaking of the fog, also wanted to say there's nothing really spectacular with the effects in this movie, but I think it all works very well in, in, in basically selling the idea that the fog has taken over. I mean, lots of reverse shots were used throughout. Um, I mean, of course, and obviously in some places like in uh, with the fog going in the ice chest here, that was definitely reversed. I mean, you could tell. And some miniatures I think we get later on too, but I wanted to shout out, I want to shout out the the, the effects in the, in this movie. Really love the soundtrack when Andy finds that piece of wood with Dane on it as well. Very exorcist type feel soundtrack mixed with some Halloween there. I loved it. And shout out Nancy Loomis, new friend of the show, Nancy Loomis, by the way. Another hot take, but oh, this is going to make some people mad. But I think I would have rather had seen Nancy Loomis in uh, Janet Lee's role instead of Janet Lee. Like, I'm sorry. She was great when she was younger. But and I said that when we did Psycho, but I just have never really cared for her acting here. H2O or the one episode of the Twilight Zone she did in the super late 80s. Anyway, sue me. Go ahead, Dustin. All right. So uh, <laughs> there's no fog bank out there. Hey, there's a fog bank out there. That was great delivery. I don't know why that made me laugh. Uh, really creepy when the ship shows up in the fog and then disappears. And then there's shadowy figures in the fog before the guy gets stabbed. I like the way that was done. And then, yeah, the score was just tremendous. And it doesn't take long for the body count to start racking up. So, I mean, we don't get a ton of them, but we're pretty early in the movie for this kill. So I like that. Uh, and then, yeah, he just picked her up. And he's laid up naked with a stranger under the covers. And he's just now asking her name. Nick swears he's me. A uh, kid runs in my room and wakes <laughs> me up talking about a gold coin that turned into a piece of driftwood. And I'm grinding him for a month. Fuck out of here, sport. That's the, that's the worst. That's got to be the worst way to get woken up. Uh, and then, like I said earlier, he just met this girl and he's taking her to his job. Okay, man. No, that, that didn't that didn't work for me. But we got some kills. It's not a bad set of scenes. I'm interested. It's it's got my attention. Our Kathy tells Sandy about her dog barking nonstop from midnight to six, and Nancy says her car alarm went off at midnight suddenly. Nick boards the other ship and sees water in the generator, but the deck is dry. Kathy says her next job is restoring the old cemetery. They knock on the door and it opens on its own. Kathy calls her father Malone to no answer. He appears from the shadows, scaring Kathy. He reads to the two ladies from the journal. Nick says all the gauges are broken, glasses all shattered. Elizabeth says it reminds her of the truck last night. Father continues reading from the journal. Nick is befuddled by what he's seeing in the boat. He tells Elizabeth we wait for the Coast Guard. She apologizes for everything, thinking she caused all the weird happenings. Nick tells Elizabeth the story about his father out fishing and his weird encounter on the, Re the Risa Jane. A locker suddenly opens and a body falls on Elizabeth as she says she's ready to go to Vancouver now. Father tells Kathy their ceremony is honoring murderers. Stevie makes a long walk to the lighthouse and up to a radio booth. Kathy asks where he found the book. It was the same time the rest of the town fell apart. Same time the six conspirators met 100 years ago. Antonio Bay has a curse on it, he says. Kathy is concerned for him, and he says we're all cursed. The piece of wood with Dane on it begins leaking water and damages the radio. It suddenly ignites on fire. She has a conveniently placed fire extinguisher, though. Nick can't figure out how he drowned, but not touching any water. Elizabeth is, ter is terrified by his eyes. Stevie calls Andy, saying to stay away from the beach and not leave the house. She starts her broadcast lining up tunes for Antonio Bay's 100th birthday. Miss Cobritz asks what his mother wanted, and he asks what those clouds are. All right, Brian's next set. What would you think? Not a whole lot on this set of scenes. When I watched it, I did think, like, maybe there was a little bit better way to get us the backstory on, on Blake. I mean, we, as the audience, get it from Father Holbrook as he, you know, reads it to probably the people who matter the least in this movie. And I kept thinking, like, how do our main characters get all this information? Again, something done much better in the remake. Also, shout out to Adrian Barbeau for walking all those motherfucking stairs up to this lighthouse. I don't know how many takes they did, but whoo! At least she was sleeping with the director. Kubrick would have had their calves looking like fucking Herschel Walker out there with as many takes as that man would have had her do. But um, this Stevie scene with the water causing all this to, you know, fuck up and then setting the wood on fire. Pause. 
I mean, it's fine. I wasn't particularly thrilled with the Dane changing to, to six must die and it be typed on there like perfectly the same way. I don't know what I wanted instead. I don't know. Maybe let's have it written in blood or something. I don't know. It just came across cheesy to me, but the rest was fine. Um, I mean, was there a reason honestly to make this a gold coin that magically changed into that piece of driftwood? I mean, couldn't it just have been driftwood the whole time? Yeah. I don't know. Go ahead. Dustin. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, when Kathy and Sandy get out of the car, it's an interesting choice in how it's shot. Like the camera makes it look like it's in first person as if they're being watched. I don't know if I would have went with that, but who am I to question John Carpenter? But it's like the, it's the only time in the movie that it's shot like that. So that was weird to me. I do like, however, the cuts back and forth from Nick and Elizabeth to Father Malone reading the journal. I thought that was well done. Good way to keep our two storylines uh, meaningful at the same time. Uh, the shot falling after Nick tells Elizabeth his story is great because it seems like a false jump scare, but then the body falls out. So I thought that was well done. And then to me, it's really cool effects when the piece of wood from the ship starts leaking water and then the words change on it and catches fire. But she reacted to it a little too calmly. I would have gathered my shit and hit the road. Like what her Stevie's commitment to her job in, in that building is my biggest question about this whole movie. I'll get into that later, but not a bad set of scenes. I just, the, the gold coin turning into the driftwood, you're right. It's completely pointless. The, the words changing on it and it combusting on its own, like that's good enough. You don't need it to be a fucking gold coin. Right. Exactly. And I totally agree with you about Stevie's commitment to a job. I got the same thing later. Like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're at the morgue now is doctor. I think, is it Phoebes or Fibes? I, I, I don't know. They never said his name. Looks like Bob Saget. I don't know. <laughs> We're at the morgue now as Doctor records what's happened to the corpse. The Doctor pulls Castle to the side and asks what happened out there. He can't figure out why it's like his body has been out there for months. Dick Baxter's body awakes and grabs a scalpel and walks towards Elizabeth. He falls as he goes to stab her, and she screams for Nick. Nature shots of the ocean, and it's nighttime now. Sheriff comforts Kathy as she gets news the, the news Al is missing. Stevie Wayne says the seagrass was found and hopes no one else is lost in the fog. Nick calls Stevie and brings up the fog. She tells him it was glowing out in the ocean. She tells Nick about the driftwood her son found as Dan gets to work. Nick asks Elizabeth if she wants to go with him to the lighthouse. Dan tells Stevie about another fog bank coming. Nick slams brakes and changes directions, hearing Stevie's weather update. Stevie says she can see the fog. It glows. The lights go out at Dan's and the fog begins to surround the building. Dan sits the phone down and goes to check it out. He answers a knock at the door to Stevie's disapproval. He opens the door to no one at first until suddenly a blade is chopped into his throat and he's drug away. Kathy is giving her speech at the ceremony now. Stevie requests the sheriff contact her immediately. Sheriff calls Stevie now, but we see the fog destroy the phone lines. The fog now fills the substation, knocking out the town's power. All right, Brian, next set. What'd you think? So this morgue scene was another part of that big reshoot as well. I don't know why the Bob Saget lookalike Dr. Morticianer had to talk to old man Atkins outside of the room, but I did love the tension build up here. You know, seeing what was almost a recreation of that scene in the OG Halloween where Myers sits up over her shoulder, but it was a little bit of blue balls though. I mean, at least Myers gives her a little slash before she falls over the banister there here. I at least wanted her to get, I don't know, sliced a little bit or something, but to no prevail. And again, I ask, why is he getting up from the dead here anyway? I mean, is the fog there being an activator? Like, does it need to be there? Because I don't think the fog is there. That's another, like, one of the issues with the with the with these scenes, like, being plugged in later. I mean, it just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in that regard. I mean, the, the next scene is showing all the landscapes without fog. So I don't really know, I guess, the reasoning for him to be sitting up there. Again, something else the remake does better. Shout out to uh, Rob Botine, though, who is responsible for all the makeup. I thought it honestly all looked great throughout. Um, I know you guys had a little bit of an issue with the monster at the end, but I didn't. I mean, Rob is, I think he's a fucking legend of the business. Uh, he did Seven with Brad Pitt. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, uh, but Brad Pitt is in that one, Dustin. Yeah, and, yeah uh, that movie would have been better with Ethan Hawke, I thought. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you're right. Total Recall, uh, one of my personal favorites, Robocop, more recently Game of Thrones. Come on, dude, this dude's fantastic. Um, okay, another question I had legitimately. 
Are they having a motherfucking town meeting between 12 and one o'clock in the morning for this dedication ceremony? <laughs> or was that section of time thing like kind of thrown out the window out of the open, like genuinely asking? Yeah, I don't know. I ain't got to answer. Oh, okay, I don't know either. Uh, like Dan getting stabbed with the fish hook, I thought very good effects. Again, a close up that was added in the reshoots. Very good choice there about Carpenter. Uh, some more nitpicks, though. When Nick calls Stevie here and says, you don't know me, but I'm Nick Castle. Come on. This town has about 30 people in it. You're telling me that they don't know each other? Like, I mean, they all listen to and get their news from this radio station playing 20s classical music. So come on with that. This sheriff getting the message about it being an emergency. Um, we get the miniature shot, you know, showing the phone lines going down there. Great shot, by the way. But then this motherfucker decides to just stay there at the candlelight vigil thing and like, fuck any old emergencies, I guess. And lastly, one of my biggest issues in this entire movie, this is what I was talking about, Dustin, that you may have too, drove my ass fucking insane, is coming up the next set of scenes. So go ahead. Okay. <laughs> uh, I love the way it was shot in the morgue when the body became reanimated, cutting back and forth from the hallway to the room, and it happened you know, behind Elizabeth. It's like she doesn't know. It's very creepy, and again, the score is a big part of that. Another part where it just was incredible. I'm not sure why she stayed in the room with the dead body, though. But whatever. And but you you brought up a good point. Like, why did they go outside in the hallway to talk about this? It's not like they said anything that she couldn't have heard. It, it was kind of a weird decision there. Uh, I like the nature shots afterwards. Like, we get a great look at how the weather and the sky is changing, and it just feels eerie. So I thought that was well done. The problem I have with this movie, though, is it's very slow in plotting in, in between the action. Like the set of scenes, this set of scenes is a prime example. When Nick asks Elizabeth if she wants to go to the lighthouse and Stevie is on the phone with Dan, like it just feels slow. I don't, maybe it's because of how they talk. Maybe it's because it's 1980. Um, but it just kind of feels like this is where the, the runtime, it's not a long movie, but you can feel it. But it gets picked back up when Dan gets killed. That was a very solid death. Uh, cause you know, you could feel the, the tension of the situation. She's saying, Dan, don't answer the door. And he's being a, you know, a tough guy, and he's like, I'm going to kick this guy's ass, and then he gets stabbed in the throat. That was awesome. Uh, I'm not sure why Stevie put a message out over the radio like that, though, to reach the sheriff. And she has a phone in the station there. Call the police station or 911. 911, I looked it up. It became a thing. The first call was placed in 1968. It was a thing back then. But, I mean, <laughs> it worked. It just seems like that would cause mass hysteria. Like She sounded very frantic when she was saying that. Call the fucking police station. They can, They have CB radios. They know where he is. I don't know. They worked, I guess, so I can forgive it. Uh, not a bad set of scenes, though. All right, Stevie runs down the winding stairs and tries to crank the generator concerned for Andy. Andy thinks it's neat the lights are out. Stevie gets the generator running and radios out for Andy and Miss Cobras to get out of the house. Knock at the door now. Nick and Elizabeth head to Andy's house to save him. Miss Cobra sends Andy to his room and opens the front door. She's pulled away as Andy leaves for his room. He calls for Miss Cobritz as we see a hook go through the wooden door. Nick makes it to the house and breaks out a window in Andy's room, pulling him outside. They run back to the truck. Elizabeth tries to drive away, but the truck is stuck now, of course. The men approach the truck, but she gets the truck to drive away in reverse, and they escape. The fog clears at the house. Sandy convinces Kathy it's time to leave and get home. We see the fog moving towards Antonio Bay now. Sandy turns the radio on as Elizabeth hits the brakes, seeing the fog appear. They listen to Stevie give directions where it's heading and to stay away from the fog. She tells them to get to the old church. The groups of people make it inside the church. Nick asks if there's a cellar or a basement. Kathy takes them to the study as we see the fog getting closer. Father Malone says Blake and his men are coming for them. It's their day of judgment. All right, Brian, it's the next set of scenes, and the next set is the ending. Go ahead. Okay, this is what I was talking about driving my ass crazy. <clears throat> if Stevie was really worried about her damn kid, she would have said what she had to say on the radio, got her ass in the car, and tried to drive there as fast as she could. You fucking kidding me? It's Billy Madison. You get your ass out there, and you find that fucking dog. Yeah. Except kid. Except kid, but you get it. Um, you don't crank the generator. You get in the fucking car and just drive there. Spoiler alert, but that's also fixed in the remake. Just saying. And her line here, Andy, if you can hear me, I'm sorry I didn't come for you. You have to understand why I have to stay here. Why exactly is that, by the way? Yeah. You tell people, like, to tell people where the fucking fog is? Get the fuck out of here with that. Like, Barbo does do a phenomenal acting job, though, of genuinely acting terrified for her kid. 
just obviously not enough to get in the car, I guess. So never mind. And how exactly can she see, by the way, how exactly can she see exactly where the road, like which road the fog is going up and down? Like this set of scenes drive my ass nuts because of that. This is the type of stuff that like maybe reads better on paper than it does translate to the screen. I mean, maybe thinking about it like, quote, like the fog closes in on every street throughout the town, forces anyone leaving to funnel to the old church. Okay, great on paper. But in execution, it's just and everyone coming together and suddenly knowing like that the fog is bad. I mean, how did Janet Lee and Nancy Loomis? I can't even remember their character names. How did they all know the fog was bad because they turned on Stevie on the radio and then they came right in the middle of her just saying like what road the fog was going by. Like they had no idea. So no, no go. It didn't work for me. <clears throat> I do want to applaud the atmosphere though throughout, but especially in this set of scenes, like no pun intended. They're saying atmosphere since, you know, the villain is fog and all, but tension really pipes up. I think here, even if people are making fucktarded decisions, can we say fucktarded on here? I don't know. I don't but, think so, uh, but fuck it, do it. Uh, I mean, it's like, it's not bad, like, right? I don't know. Anyway. Well, okay. Tard is. Tard is. <laughs> like Nick not getting his ass up and going to the driver's side and, like, helping Elizabeth get his truck. He drives every fucking single day unstuck or literally doing anything but sit there and yell. Fixed in the remake. But all in all, I had a lot of issues with the set of scenes, but the tension was still good, and a lot of that had to do with the elite score. Yeah, it's very tense when Stevie's freaking out because the fog is coming for Andy. A really good job there. Like, she's helpless. You really feel the situation. And then the babysitter getting got right as Andy shut the door. That was fantastic. But this is where I have. Like, she's a little too committed to her job. Damn some good, smooth jazz tunes. Get out there and be with your son. That's an unfit mother. She gets the Man Fuck Them Kids Award for this movie. Um, Yes. Another really tense moment, though, when the truck was stuck. And the ghost pirates were closing in. I thought that was well done uh, to you know build some tension because you're like, oh shit, are they going to get got? At least one of them going to get killed? I don't know what the point of Buddy smashing the liquor bottle in the church was though, other than to look like Billy Badass and the dumbass soaked the journal. So what, what was the point of that? That was just unneeded aggression. A great score again though during this scene. It, like it just nails the right feel. The the score I've said it, but that's that's my favorite part of this whole movie is the score. It just feels so Agreed. right. But hundred percent. Uh, honestly, at this point, like I'm, I'm still invested in the story, but I'm, I'm ready to wrap it up. So I'm glad we've only got the ending left. Speaking of the ending, here we are. The fog surrounds the lighthouse now. Malone says six must die and five have been killed so far. He reads more from the journal as a window is broken. They barricade the window, but other windows are being broken now. Stevie is being chased after. Malone pulls a gold cross from the wall. Sandy's hair is grabbed, but they get her free. Malone walks into another room with the golden cross. He's in the sanctuary and calls out for Blake, saying he has his gold. Stevie is on top of the lighthouse now, trying to avoid the fog. Blake approaches Father Malone, and he says, I'm the sixth conspirator, and to take him. Stevie is stabbed in the neck area with a hook and slides down the roof. She swings a hook at the ghost in the fence. Blake grabs the golden cross, and it shines brightly. Nick pulls Malone from the cross as an explosion happens. The fog and ghosts disappear. The fog clears from all over town. Stevie says she doesn't know what happened tonight on Antonio Bay, but the fog attacked us. She tells the ships at sea to look for the fog. Father Malone goes back into the sanctuary asking, why not six? Why not me? Fog fills the room and he's killed by the ghost. Title card and end credits roll. Brian, what do you think about the ending? Well, I mean, some of it was a little confusing. I mean, am I supposed to believe that Blake and, uh, not Blake, I guess, the, uh, Father Malone, is that his name? Was it Mar- Marin? Marin's exorcist. Malone's this guy. Um, are we supposed to believe that they all like melted all that gold just to make a golden cross? Like, and then hit, hide it away? Like, what? I thought they used all that money to, to like get the town started, basically. Again, I don't know. What am I missing here? The remake could never. But a lot of the, uh, <laughs> we get a lot of Night, Night of the Living Dead vibes here in this church. Honestly, I'm glad they added this whole lighthouse scene too with Stevie because again, in reshoots, they, you know, had to go back and forth with because the church scene I think is not great aside from a cool shot of them standing in the church with the fog rolling in and around. Um, just a little fun fact and I'll be done. In this last scene where Stevie's on top of the lighthouse and, and the fog slowly disappears, 
the crew realized that they would not be able to get the fog to roll out. So they had Adrian Barbeau perform the scene in such a way that the film could be played in reverse. And I was pretty impressed. Knowing that, I or watched it really closely, and it's pretty impressive to me. Again, the ending is whatever. I mean, it's fine. Like, the coolest part is you thinking all is good, and then, surprise, bitch! Father Malone gets the, gets the slash at the end. But, again, maybe add in the part with the dude closing, you know, on the kids with the campfire, telling the story. That would have made a lot more sense to me. But, hey, I didn't make it. Yeah. Let's move this piece of furniture in front of this window. Hopefully they won't notice all the other windows, including the one that's right beside the window that, that goes smashed. Great logic there. That that drove me up a wall. Just fuck that. Get away from the windows. There's a the start. Anyway, uh, Andy with the don't go in there to Father Walton. Shit. He almost gave almost. a shout out. Like that would have been a perfect <laughs> soundbite. He said, don't go in there. No, fuck. Um, <laughs> I didn't enjoy the sound of Stevie's nails scratching on the roof of the lighthouse when she fell. God dang, that made my skin crawl. That was the worst part of the movie by far. Uh, great shot of the fog, fog crawling over the hill and then surrounding the lighthouse. I thought that was very well done. Get some bad special effects in our climax, though. First, the look of the face of the ghost on the roof with Stevie was bad. And then the glowing cross and whatnot. Like, that just didn't age well. And I'm not sure how it looked in 1980 at the time, but I just I didn't look didn't look good at all. I do really like the final kill. Like we're lured into this false sense of security and Father Malone thinks that he's safe and then bam, he gets got. I like that. Overall, it was, it was solid. Not a bad movie. Pretty simple, straightforward story. I like that. It wasn't too convoluted. Some of the stuff didn't make sense, but um, it didn't have to. It, it didn't leave you asking, well, what about this? What about that? So it was fine. All right, let's jump into social media. We'll knock out Instagrams first. Uh, big fan of the show, Real Matt Sears. Love this movie. Love the cast. Love the concept. I have the poster on the wall in my office. Is that true, Brian? It is very true. Uh, you allow was, that in your building? I was supposed to say my building. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> You're right. Yes. It's the Brian, uh, Brian Hathaway Esquire uh, Memorial Building. Yeah, I've seen it. Wow. That's right. <laughs> wow. Matt had another comment saying, regardless of how you feel about this movie, it's a goddamn masterpiece compared to the 05 reboot. Yikes. All right. Yeah, you I, told you, I told work. you it was Settle a hot that. take. I told you, you it was a hot take. I'll fight him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt Strickland commented, another classic John Carpenter flick. Gotta love it. If y'all had to choose between this one and Stephen King's The Mist to die in, which would you choose? I haven't seen The Mist. I can't answer it. Uh, I'd probably rather die. I don't know. What's? I don't know. This would probably be a quicker death, so I'm going with that. You I don't want to die, man. One. That's true. <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to die, though. I'm choosing either. I choose life. That wasn't even an option. Amen, brother. Fuck, I make my own rules. (laughs) P.T. Hall, 87, Tom Atkins, stash or no stash? Well, since I started growing out my stash, I'm going to say stash. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. I was just saying we ought to call him sir. Felt like a. Nico looks like he's about to pull some folks over and then chug some maple syrup. (laughs) Super true. Missy Hutchinson Wall comment. I love this movie. Yes, it's pretty dated and the fog effects aren't great. But it's creepy, and you've got the Scream Queens. We do have the Scream Queens. Shout out to friend of the show, Nancy Loomis. There the you go. Love her. She's super nice. Uh, Kevin Podhoff, anything that has Tom Atkins in it is great. Okay. Yeah. I Sorry. see you, Kevin Podhoff, and I raise you a Halloween 3. Fuck that piece of shit. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's jump over to the Twitters. Mookie commented, great atmosphere and cast. One of the best ghost stories. I just love everything about this movie. Also, I echo what Nico said about dogs and being a mailman. I have been bit. I have been bit twice now. LOL. Damn. I never got bit by a dog, but I damn sure almost got bit several times. Uh, that once that adrenaline kicks in, you just run a hell of a lot faster than you usually do. <laughs> once that fear kicks in. All right. Speaking of dogs, go dogs. Randy Smith coming. <laughs> that was a hell of a segue. Nice a segue, nice baby. Tom Atkins, John Carpenter, and he loves Tom Atkins, so he said Tom Atkins' name again. As an admittedly lover of both, you can't go wrong. I know we won't have love across the board with this one. Not naming names, but can't wait to hear y'all's take. That was definitely Nico. That was definitely Nico. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, gotcha, Randy. I like this movie more than Brian does. P.S. Go dogs. Team man of the show, Shan. She replied with a picture of her and Tom Atkins. That's super dope. I would like to meet Tom Atkins one day. Uh, Whoops. All right. And Kevin Scanlon, another teammate of the show. I dig this movie. It's an entertaining watch. 
has a solid cast, and I like the score too. The score is very good. Very. Yeah. I'll send it over to Facebook now. I saved this one for last since Christina commented over here. Uh, but Dustin's burner account is back. LOL. <laughs> Seriously though, I was always he literally commented that. Seriously though, I was always meaning to watch this one, and now having done that, I think it's one of Carpenter's weakest films. I would call it a snore fest, but some people might find something in this film. Unfortunately, not for me. No hate to anyone that does, though. Hey, at least you were respectful at the end. I appreciate that. You got to stop calling him my burner. Like, I disagreed with what he just said. It's not my burner. He said it, not me. He commented, <laughs> Dustin's burner account is back. LOL oh, with a laughing. Oh, oh, okay. That's funny, then. <laughs> yes. Well, we disagreed. See, I disagreed with myself. I was having a bit of schizophrenia moment. I disagreed with myself online. <laughs> this is usual. <laughs> All right, and Christina Tower coming. Very excited to hear you guys review this one. I saw this as a kid, and this movie still scares me. It's what you don't see in the music that has stayed with me. A friend and I watched this movie a few years ago. She doesn't really like horror movies, but she liked this one. Thank you, guys. No, Christina, thank you. We appreciate you. Yeah, uh, even if yeah, we didn't love absolutely. the movie per se, we really appreciate you listening and you donating and picking this movie. Guys, y'all got any fun and- facts? Go ahead. Yeah, I'm glad that she picked it too because, like I said before, I watched part of it and I probably never would have revisited it. So, thank you. I guess I'll go ahead and say the budget since Money Mike's off doing money moves. But um, budget was one million dollars. It went on to gross twenty one million four hundred forty eight thousand eight hundred thirty dollars, aka Nico's last tax return. Um, jazz was used for Stevie Wayne's radio station because the royalties for uh, rock was too in too expensive but come on who the fuck is listening to that much fucking jazz this whole (laughs) town is listening to nothing but jazz every time turn on the radio is jazz god dang the way you look right now you look like you listen to some jazz music (laughs) comment on another man's looks (laughs) (laughs) you just talking about my mustache you asshole that was crazy that was crazy drinking sir (laughs) see there you go we're troopers that's that's what the most unbelievable part of this movie, though. You're not going to fucking stay up till 12 and 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning like everybody in this town fucking does when you're yeah. listening to that on the radio. No, they'd be asleep by 7 p.m. easy. Hell yeah. Early Hell bird yeah. special, then bam. Sleep. It's for the people out on the ships. Them ships ain't listening to jazz, man. You ever heard <laughs> the phrase? They're drinking Steve Weisers and fishing, and they just want to listen to some jazz. Get the fuck out of here. No, they're not. <laughs> Anyway, I'm on a high. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Although this movie cost just over one million dollars to make, Avco Embassy spent three times that amount on advertising and promotion. This included TV ads, radio ads, print ads, and the studio even installed fog machines at a cost of three hundred fifty dollars each in the lobbies of selected cinemas where the movie was showing. That's awesome. Uh, yes. When the last one I've got, when never mind. You already read that one about what what the. Uh, book said what we were able to read yeah that was funny oh yeah it's awesome I went to school to make it in the movie industry and now you got me working on this dumb shit yeah that was awesome go ahead about, who called it a shaved beaver that's what made me laugh i think the funniest shaved part of beaver that. dude that's the most <laughs> 1980 thing actress adrian barbeau and director john carpenter were married at the time this movie was made and released he wrote the role of stevie wayne for her specifically this came right after his separation from Deborah Hill. So a lot of the cast and crew working on both of them for so long, like apparently there was a lot of awkwardness on set. I forgot to mention that Hill and Carpenter while together and vacationing and visiting Stonehenge came up with the idea for this movie, kind of seeing fog in the distance, but kind of, kind of crazy there in the Blu-ray audio commentary. Carpenter noted that the, deliberate wrecking of the clipper ship and its subsequent plundering was based on an actual event. Uh, the wrecking of the frolic that took place in the 19th century, New Galetta, California. The band mentioned on the radio near the movie's beginning is the Coupe de Ville's, which features director John Carpenter. They actually play a song over the closing credits of Big Trouble in Little China, also directed by Carpenter. Don't like that movie either. Damn. Uh, and by the way, that poster is in Matt's office too. So, and, uh, He's a big John Carpenter guy. Uh, first of all... Joseph Mars. Yeah, that's not in there. No. <laughs> First of a two-picture deal with co-embassy uh, pictures for director John Carpenter. The other film to follow was Escape from New York. Again, another really good premise and story that I think could have been done better by someone else. 
Um, you Carpenter tried again. Respect. This is no longer a fun fact. This is a Brian fact. Carpenter tried again with a bigger budget and escape from L.A. And sorry, same issues. It's not me. It's you, John. Uh, Curtis credits uh, this with launching her career. She didn't have much going on after Halloween, despite her success. And Carpenter felt bad and wrote this part for her and used her in the marketing, despite her not being the lead. She later said in the interviews that she was surprised that this had a cult following because her, like Carpenter, didn't think it was a very good movie. Sorry, guys. Of course she didn't. Hey, come bitch. on. First, it was more, you it, that was more for Carpenter. That was more for Carpenter. I wasn't even trying to talk about Curtis. He hates everything. <laughs> but Nico took it there. He was, sm- he was bashing JLC. And then you do not disparage Escape from New York. I, look, it, I told, it's all right. I mean, but it could be so Escape much Escape from L.A., yeah, I agree. That one's nowhere well, near just, as good. As, but New York is awesome. That's just because the CG and no Escape from L.A. is so bad. Kurt Russell's the fucking man. I mean, I agree with that. All right, guys, let's jump to our favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating. Uh, I'll go first. Favorite kill. I chose Dan O'Bannon, but I wrote – I don't think any of the kills are great, but at least the scene was okay. Least favorite kill, I went with Miss Cobritz just because it hurt me seeing her getting killed. She's a sweet old lady. Uh, summary, no strong feelings, to be honest, which I know isn't great review talk. Movie is paced decently, has a great 80s cast. Shout out to friend of the show, Nancy Loomis. She's a wonderful lady. Great score. John Carpenter always does well there and some beautiful, beautiful shots. The fog was creepy, but the ghost just didn't do it for me. Maybe I watched it at the wrong time in my life. Thank you to Christina for the blood donor donation. We really appreciate it. But I, I gave the movie a 5.5. Uh, okay. Uh, Dan is my favorite kill. I didn't pick a least favorite kill. Sue me. Um, as far as summary goes, again, I'm so sorry to Christina Tower for my take, but we thrive on honesty here on the show. Um, I do think it's very cool that this movie contains, like you mentioned, the three most prominent scream queens of, of cinema, really. Barbo, Curtis, and Janet Lee. I think this movie has a script issue. And like I mentioned, you know, that was attempted to be remedied by Carpenter shooting another extra 30 days, trying to fix the first cut. But it makes it just convoluted to me. Like all the issues, I say it again, all of those issues that I had with this one are fixed in the remake. And everything this does well, I personally feel the remake does better. So with that said, in my opinion, probably not respected anymore by the fans. I'm going to give this one a 4.5. Don't worry, brother. Your opinion was never respected by me. Um, God damn it. I said the fans, JK. not you, son of a bitch. JK. All right, favorite kill. I went with Father Malone. The timing was perfect. I mean, just we thought that we were in the clear, and then bam. He thought that he was going to live. Nah, bitch. I forgot about that one. I should have picked that one. Oh, yeah. Fuck. Least favorite kill would be the off-screen fisherman. Any of the, the guys, I guess there was four of them that died, so any of the three we didn't see. Rating general thoughts, look, it's a decent movie, but it drags and stretches. The movie was originally too short, so, yeah, those additional scenes, you can uh, to me, you could just tell when they were added because it felt like it's just like, well, let's just have them talk some more. And Bingo. it didn't really work for me. It feels like a lot of filler. But the score is phenomenal, one of the best that we've done, to me. To be honest, to me. The story is good enough. The lack of blood hurt. I know we wanted that PG rating, but when they came back with an R, go all out. Give us a hard R. Well... Okay, right. Super pause. Come on, uh, give some gore. It's not a bad movie though. I enjoyed it. I'd probably watch it again. I wouldn't change the channel if it was on and nothing else was on. Let's put it that way. I gave it a seven. That was crazy. Sorry, they caught me on guard. All right, uh, I'm going to read Mike's rating now. First off, I would like to apologize to Christina for missing this episode. I want to thank you for your contribution, and I know the rest of the guys will do it justice. Thank you so much for being a listener. The, 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 the fog has a ton of things that I should really like about it. Carpenter as a director, Halloween 78 contributors like Deborah Hill, JLC, Nancy Loomis, Tommy Wallace, etc. The ingredients are there for a good soup, but something was missing. I found this movie really hard to get through from a pacing standpoint. I felt every bit of the time and found myself wondering when it was going to get to the scary parts. This movie commits the ultimate movie sin. It's boring. There are things I like, some I already previously mentioned. I also like the cinematography. Some of these shots are incredible, especially shots of the actual fog. The sets look great, and I like the bones of the story. Some of the stuff with the ghosts is fine, but as you guys know, it's just not my cup of tea, and some of it doesn't age well. One thing I love is the fucking score. It's great. Overall, I can understand the appeal for fans of 80s horror. 
Just for me, it's not something I need to revisit a ton, but would like to see the remake and compare. I give this movie a six, enough to keep me interested, but not very enjoyable. Wow, that was wild. I have tears right now. That was wild. He said to put some stutters in. Mike's Mike's mom's going to kill you when she listens to this. Uh, That gives us a composite score of 5.75. IMDb's got it at 6.8 with just over 81,000 votes. That's not a lot of votes, to be honest with you. Um, So, yeah, we're not, not too far off. Only eighty one thousand. Yeah, that's crazy to me. That's kind of that's pretty low considering this is kind of like a Carpenter classic. You figured yeah. it would be. A, I figured it'd at least have one hundred eighty one. I mean, okay. All right, let's shout out our blood donors. Uh, I want to shout out Christina Tower again, Final Girl. We really, really appreciate you. Uh, hope you don't hate us for our rating, but you know, like Brian mentioned, we we take pride in being truthful and being honest. Michael Evans, he's another Final God donor. Really appreciate you. Rochelle Mack on Instagram, really appreciate legendary donor, second time donating, really appreciate you. And Fraser Rice is a new Dream Warrior level uh, blood donor, really appreciate you, man. Camper level reoccurring, Clayton J, Nina, Michelle Merza, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, Sean Irwin, Kelsey Miller, my boy CJ, and Michael Evans. Our camp counselor reoccurring, our Edwin Hernandez Gunn, Joe Swinford, Kyle Denise, all the way from Australia. Adrian Aiello, Karen, Brian Samick, Andrew Ferguson, and my boy, Matt Strickland. Really appreciate all of our blood donors. Uh, takes a big burden off of us, help us pay these bills. Absolutely. Next month is Dustin's theme. I'm going to let him announce it because yeah. I really don't know what the fuck to call it. Uh, you I go can. ahead, brother, and then Brian can announce his pick. Yeah. So I was thinking when I went to the, the movies earlier, the theater earlier this year and saw Bo is Afraid, these guys got to watch this movie and I know they'll never willingly do it. So how can I make them watch this movie? So I went asshole. with a the theme. I went with a the theme called <laughs> fill my pain. It's one of those, we've got a rule in our group chat. I'm sure a lot of group chats have this rule, but if we see something that's just like outlandish, look, if I saw it, you have to see it. So I'm sharing it to group chat. It's kind of that I watched this movie. So now you have to watch this movie. Feel my pain. So that's the theme that I went with. Brian, what did you pick, brother? I watched uh, <laughs> this instant classic, uh, yeah. instant classic, instant 10, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, 2023's take on the classic Winnie the Pooh story. It's, uh, man, it's, it's something. But it, it was trying to find something that the other guys in, in hadn't seen was was a, a task. I was like, did y'all see Winnie the Pooh yet? And Dustin was like, I'm about to watch it. I said, no, don't fucking watch it. I'm about to pick yeah. it for your goddamn asshole-ish theme that you've got going on this <laughs> week, this month. <laughs> anyway, that's Dude, what I got. I'm, I'm excited to watch that because we knew when they announced the movie, this is going to be awful. But it's one of those, like, <laughs> I, I want to see it. Winnie the Pooh was a big part of my childhood. I'm excited to watch it. I know it's going to suck. So, unlike you guys, I'm looking forward to this month. Every pick. Except for, Spoiler, uh, except for to me, I don't even, if I recall correctly, I did watch it on the way back from Orlando while I was driving. So uh, I don't that's, think it was that bad. I know, man. I'm sorry. That was breaking the law in such, in such drastic measures. Don't pull me over, uh, Nico. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't remember it being as bad as I thought it was. Maybe it's because I watched it along with the Hatchet movies that were really bad. I don't know, but we'll see. Hell yeah. No, Mike got Dustin back, though. <laughs> yeah. God it backfired. Yes. He got, that backfires on me, too. I didn't fucking do anything. <laughs> just well, want to thank all our fans and listeners for tuning in. Uh, what do you want to say? Go ahead, Dustin. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, you know, you can't get me back because making Brian watch a three-hour-long Bo is Afraid A24 movie, <laughs> there's nothing you could do that's going to you know, take this joy from me. So, whatever. Look, literally everybody on the show hates me, I think, because like this month is just hell. Builds character. It's hell month for me, guys. It's hell month. Builds character. It does build character. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. Really appreciate all the support. You guys were awesome. We had an amazing October. Numbers were booming. Really appreciate it. Just want to thank Christina Tower again one more time. Uh, we hope we did your movie justice. It was the first time I ever saw it. You know, it took me a couple of watches just to – honestly figure out what the fuck was going on because there was like so many different like side stories i was like what the hell is going on but it took me a couple watches but 
Hope we did it justice. Really appreciate your donation. And thank you all for listening. Y'all have a good one. Oh, I was going to take Stay my time Antonio or take Bay. this time to actually quit the show based on next month. And I was just going to go ahead and quit. You can't quit. Let's just cue that fucking jazz music. Let's go home. Just want to remind everybody. Oh.